Hello, everybody. Hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. Hope you were safe, as safe as you could be. Today's episode is a very special episode because it is somebody's favorite film and it's somebody's birthday. Oh, I feel so special. We're doing this whole intro for me. It's my favorite movie. Austin just got me Horizon Zero Dawn on PC. Oh, thank you, Austin. Thanks again, man. You're welcome. This is uh this is an exciting episode for me. This Children of Men is uh probably one of my favorite it is my favorite film. Which is hard because when you talk to a lot of film people, they're like, Well, I have so many. Same same goes for yeah. me. But I could usually put this at the top. Yeah, man. I just I love this film. It's it's a great time of the year. And also, do you know I share my birthday with someone else very special. Who? The director of Children of Men. Alfonso Cuaron. What? His birthday is on November 28th. Wow. You know what that means, Austin? I am Alfonso Cuaron. Oh, Jesus. No, you're not. We are one. The singularity is real. Nah. So when we're talking about children, man, you're really talking about (laughs) my movie. So this episode is kind of, in a way, children of men, and you're talking about it with the director. You know, my I know that my birthday is shared with Celine Dion. Really? Yeah. So every album she made, it's your album. That's how yeah. that's how birthdays work, Austin. And I'm not even like a big Celine Dion fan, but she's the one person I know that has my birthday. To, you know what would make this this birth George's birthday extra special is if you leave a comment on the Twitter congratulating him on his twenty seventh birthday, right? Uh... Joining twenty seven club. I think so. I'm 93. Yeah, so I, I don't do much sh- math, man. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, you'd be 27. It's not hard math. It's very difficult. Um, Wait. Oh, no. <laughs> no, it's not. Because 93, it's 2020. Oh, yeah. 27. Duh. Yeah. Uh, so it would be, be great if you left a message on our Twitter at retrograde underscore pod. Or if you leave us a review with five stars, congratulating George on his birthday. That would mean the world to us it definitely does and it it helps the podcast a lot and also i just want to be since it's like around thanksgiving i i just want to say thank you to all of our listeners you guys like i've gotten a few messages from some of them from and from some of you guys and uh, it makes us really happy knowing that you guys are enjoying the content i know a few people who have said that they've watched some of the films because of the podcast and yes that that's when i feel like Yes, this is exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to get people to watch more movies and think about them in a different way. It means so much to both Austin and I. And it's, you know, it, Austin and I, we work full time jobs and editing this on the side, it could be really difficult at times. Um, I know I've had days where I go leave from work editing and I come home editing, and it's very draining. And your eyes start hurting. But but when I <laughs> you get... You start hating the sound of your own voice. Oh, God. I hate it already. And now I hate it even more. But, you know, when I see just those little shout outs or just those messages, it just yeah. feels so much worth it. And Austin, honestly, Austin, uh, honestly, Austin, recording it with you is so much fun. And Same. I feel like our podcasts have gotten so much longer. Like the raw audio, the raw yeah. audio files. We've gone from two-hour conversations to, like, four hours with Willy Wonka and Munich. Yeah, those are upcoming episodes. And they're 
they are super jam-packed with great info and stuff but they are long but in the moment it's so much fun to record and just talk about all these things and Mm -hmm. i'm really thankful that we started this podcast and that it's a lot of work but it's so much it's still really fun and i can't wait when i can't people message me saying that like yeah this was the best one ever i'm like I mean, it made all that, all those hours of editing and recording worth it. So thank you for that. Absolutely. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Children of Men, you guys. See you soon. See ya. Your move, creep. We should freezer. You go, Dino DMA. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. It's the only thing I know how to do. It's a good-looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's night more! Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. You know, that's just like, uh, your opinion, man. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Retrograde. I'm your host, George Montoya. And here is my co-host. Austin. That's me. And today we're going to be talking about a film very near and dear to my heart, Children of Men. A lot of you may not have heard of it. It wasn't a really big, it wasn't a big release or anything, but this is a fantastic sci-fi film by my man, Alfonso Cuaron. It was released in 2006, and we're going to be talking about it on the show today. If you're new to our show, we basically talk about older films, films that have been released. We basically go back to them. We talk about where the, when they were released and kind of what the what the culture was at that time and we talk about whether the film was a success or not how did it how did it do with critics audiences and money wise how did it do and it's always interesting to go back and talk about these films in the new light trying to see if some some cultural gems hold up or if some films that were kind of ignored at the time actually are maybe pretty good were, maybe they were ahead of their time is might, that might have been the problem you know like a lot of movies that people are very near and dear to their hearts, like Rocky Horror Picture Show and stuff. Like those those movies didn't do very well when they were released in theaters. It wasn't until after that they became a phenomenon. Because, you know, when time passes, your perspective changes over time. So Children of Men was released in 2006, directed by Alfonso Cuaron. And this was a critic's gem. This movie got Oscar nominations. It won plenty of awards. It had some super A-list actors in it. But it didn't do that well with audiences. Uh, It was mostly ignored. People weren't paying attention. It didn't even make up its budget, let alone its marketing cost. Um, So that's why we want to talk about it. You know, let you guys know about this film and just talk about it. what, What was the first time you saw it? When was the first time you saw it? It's funny. I actually saw this. Uh, so, <laughs> so there was a while where we had cable, and um, uh-huh. for so like we had cable, and like I was just remember it was like six hundred channels, and I was scrubbing through it, and I remember seeing the first scene, the 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 scene, the first scene of the film where Theo uh, was getting coffee, and I tuned in right when the explosion happened, and it caught my attention. Did you pay attention to like the the news? What was on the news for? Um, no, no, because this was back in this was I saw this in two thousand seven. No, so like in was, in that scene, he's like watching the news. Did that any of that like? No, 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 because I got in right when the explosion okay. happened when he's outside. Okay. Um, but I couldn't. Um, I couldn't finish the film. I I was only watching it for five minutes, but it caught my attention. Later on, I went to my uncle's house and he had the film and he was talking about it. He's like, ah, oh, it's garbage, it's <laughs> slow, it's boring. 
And I, I, I wasn't a diehard fan at then, then, but it caught my attention as to why he thought it was slow and boring. I was like, I'm curious. Yeah. I think I was in, I was in high school when this movie came out, and I remember my friend talking about it, saying it's a sci-fi action movie where the protagonist never even picks up a gun. And yeah, I'm, I'm that like, is absolutely that is absolutely true. He never holds a gun. Yeah, and I'm like, what? And and they're in they're put in these situations that are life or death. They're yeah. they're in a literal war. Yeah. And he never picks up a gun. Yeah. Either him or it, Kiki. It's not uh, that he's like like a pacifist, right? It's just that there's he's just trying to survive. He's just trying to yeah, do the thing. He, I mean, spoilers, uh, he does kill someone, but he doesn't yeah. I mean he he's not a pacifist, but he is I would describe him as someone who is uh just nonchalant. He doesn't so just a just a big picture sense and summary of the film. The it takes place in twenty twenty seven in a dystopian future where women cannot give birth. And so mankind's uh, clock is ticking down to uh, an inevitable apocalypse where it just, since you cannot reproduce, mankind will die. And mm-hmm. there is this growing anxiety about the end. Yeah, and it, it starts with the world's youngest person dying. And he's like a celebrity, and then people are sad, but people hated him. So it's... It's well, he was – the film portrays him as an asshole. They're like, he was an asshole. Yeah. But he was the youngest person in the world. Yeah. And it, people are mourning him. It's it's just a – it's a giant flag saying – Time is ticking. Absolutely. And I love that opening. Yeah. So that's – so it's – so then the film starts – it's this dystopian future. Women cannot give birth anymore. And then, you know, as as films do – Something happens, the, in, in, uh, the uh, inciting incident, and Theo finds himself thrust into this world between politics and rebel groups and trying to figure out what's the right thing to do, and it's, it's incredible. It's an incredible film. So you remember someone talking about mentioning him not holding guns? Yeah, before I ever watched it, I remember this was like the student's favorite movie of the year or whatever, and he's like, yeah, the protagonist never picks up a gun, and I'm it left an impression on me because I don't remember what else he said. <laughs> but I, I watched it a few years later. I think because I was on a Michael Caine binge, I was watching the, the original Italian job where, he, where he's like, you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. That's where that comes from. And then I watched this one because he's in it. I remember him saying, pull my finger. <laughs> I thought of Michael Caine as like this refined, theatrically trained actor, but he's going around asking Clive Owen to pull his finger. He's a hippie in this film. Yeah, he he's a straight up hippie, and it's great. It's he's playing out of character, or he's playing out of his uh, out of his uh, typecast, and it works really well. So, when did you watch the film, and what were your initial impressions? Um, I I think I watched it in 2009 or 8 i actually had this uh, little mp3 player that it was also a video player right and it was like a small screen so i could like watch whatever i wanted without like broadcasting it to everybody else in my house you know so i would i downloaded a bunch of these like artsy uh, serious movies and children of men was one of them can I just can I just sidetrack this conversation a yeah. bit? So you had a private, you had an MP3 player that could play videos privately, and you decide to download artsy films. Well, I yeah. see that's that's not what I would have done it for. <laughs> uh, I absolutely not. I I, mean, I, I, did, I, I did get lust caution too. 
but you get what? Less caution. The Ang Lee movie. The NC seventeen. Ang- oh, bo- get! The- <laughs> I'm talking about porn, boy. I'm talking. I would have. Oh my god! I what the? It's not like it, it was just serious art. It was like movies that were that I knew about, but I could never watch because I wasn't allowed to watch R-rated movies. Yeah, Children of Men was one of these movies, so I didn't really get the the full effect. I think yeah, I didn't really get the full effect because I'm watching on like tiny little screen, right? But I do remember those long takes, like the in the very beginning. You know, there's there's the him and Julianne Moore in the car is that long take and then towards the end when he gets that guy out of the brick I just I remember those well that's part of the that's part of the legacy of the film <clears throat> yeah or one of the things about it but uh, we'll get to that in a sec but it's interesting that you say that you saw it on an mp3 on like this you didn't get to enjoy the the full effect of it because that was the same thing with me I, I think eventually when I did see the film I saw it on my laptop following that I would watch it on TV whenever it was on and then a friend gifted me the the dvd in in high school but for the longest time i had only seen it on laptops and little tvs but this is a big grandiose film yeah i would have loved to see it seen it in theaters i i eventually did see it in theaters oh yeah yeah so when he released gravity a roommate sent me the link and they're like they're showing children of men before gravity for the midnight premiere so we went to the arc light in the cinerama dome this is my first time at the cinerama dome oh i and love that because it when you go inside you see like the hex the hexagon shapes it feels like you're in a little beehive it's amazing yeah it's um it's one of the things that i love having here in la cause it's just one yeah. of those like it's one of those that if you love movies, you got to go there. Yeah, see something. See some like sci-fi epic. I saw Mad Max there. Dude, I, I saw Children of Men and Gravity and most recently Once Upon a Time <laughs> and, and Joker and Joker there. But see, it's it's really nice. It was I mean, for the longest time, I saw that when Gravity came out in 2013 or 14. And I so I saw the film in like 2006, seven. And now six, seven years later, I'm finally able to see it in theaters. And it was amazing. And it's weird because you really can't. It's not the same seeing it on a TV compared to this giant fucking screen, and it was it was amazing. Um, it really. And then afterwards, we saw Gravity, which was amazing. I, I've had a I've had a, a bit of a history with this film, mm-hmm. and it's still my it's still one of my favorites. This is this is usually when people ask me like, "What's your favorite movie?" This is the one that I'll always go to. Like knowing you and knowing like what other movies that you you like, I'm like. Way to class it up, George. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, man. I look, man. I I'm a trashy boy. I love my trash. I I love me some. I love me some Norbit. I love me some Transformers. But this is I because it's it's you know those are just like what am I gonna watch today? Ah, fuck it. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna splurge on some explosions. But this is like a real meaty, delicious meal that's like healthy. <laughs> And it just it makes me feel all the feels, and I I love it. It's everything about it. So we're gonna talk about the reception real quick. That's kind of how most people felt about it. So on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 92% certified fresh, out of 247 critics. So you know that 92 is not BS. Mm-hmm. 85% audience score, which makes sense. Um, and 85 is really high actually, considering how yeah. some audiences lean. And how like there's, you know, it's it's Clive Owen. Like he's usually kind of like an action dude he's not really doing a lot of action in this movie he's just trying to survive 
remember, he was the guy in Shoot 'em Up. I mean, in that movie, he's basically Bugs Bunny. Like, he eats an actual carrot and he's shooting people <laughs> in Shoot 'em Up. Yeah. Oh, dude, in 2005, that was Sin City. Oh, in Sin City. So he had this action kind of persona. I mean, not as not as big as Bruce Willis, but he still had it. But the yeah. fact that, you know, even audiences were willing to embrace that uh, kind of restores my faith in humanity a little bit. <laughs> Did they embrace it? Because it didn't seem like the people really went to the theater. to. But the people who saw it liked what they saw. I think more people would be willing to accept it, but I think they just didn't see it because it was very low-key. I, I mm. cannot remember this, uh, the marketing strategy for this, which I'm going to try to look up because I don't, I don't know what the strategy was for this film, but this was an awards, darling. And that year, it won a ton of, or it got nominated for a ton of awards. It got Best Cinematography nomination, a screenplay, editing. But those are the Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. It had a lot of Best Science, the Saturn Awards, Hugo Awards. It had a lot of cinematography nominations. Uh, Chivo. Chivo? Chivo. He did the Revenant. Yeah, he, it, it, that's that's his kind of nickname. But his name is Emmanuel Lubinsky. So he makes like these really pretty looking movies, very oh, he cinematic. Makes, yeah, movies. he does a lot of Terrence Malick stuff. Um, uh, Tree of Life. So this was an awards darling, but it didn't, it didn't financially pan out too well. It may, so it was made. It had a budget of seventy six million, which mm-hmm. is incredible that they'd even give this type of movie that much money. I'm happy that they did, but. It only made back seventy million. It was distributed by Universal Studios. Do you remember any commercials for this movie? No, none at all. I never saw a trailer for this film. I only remember seeing it at the Oscars because I love I love watching the Oscars. I yeah. love it, and I remember seeing like the clips and the actual film. But that's pretty much it. I never saw this this this, this September this December watch the you know i never saw that yeah i don't remember it either i just remember my friend talking about it in high school saying the guy never uses a gun i feel like this film has had a strong word of mouth because people still talk about it when people Mm -hmm. ask me what's your favorite movie children of men people like oh i've heard about it they've a lot of people still haven't seen it but i can't blame them i mean it's i i only found this film through through random luck because my uncle was talking shit about it (laughs) <laughs> uh, and it was on TV. So, yeah, the only reason I really stuck with it was because my uncle was talking shit about it. Isn't it that kind of interesting how someone telling you not to, to do something, not to watch this? It's like, oh, well, I've, I'm going to watch that. <laughs> that is that is me literally with every film. Yeah. Like, I'm, they're like, don't watch this. I'm like, oh, I have to watch this now. Like, yeah. I need to form. I need to know what's going on, especially with how volatile my taste is. Uh-huh. Like, I, <laughs> I'm all over the place. Like, if you if you know me, if you really, like, kind of know my taste, then you could be like, oh, I'm sure he'll like this and not that. But most people, they won't really know what to recommend. So they'll just, like, they'll kind of say, oh, don't watch this film because it's kind of shitty. It's like, well, George might like it, though. He's into some shit. <laughs> he, he, there's some bad films that he likes. So, yeah, it didn't break even. 70 mil. I'm sure no one regrets releasing the film. And if anything, like, it, it just showed how great of a director Alfonso Cuaron was. Because he would make Gravity afterwards. He'd make Gravity... Like, 2013. 20, oh, 2013. Yeah. So, he made... Uh, they gave him enough money for Gravity seven years later. And that, that movie has a massive budget. Yeah. He, in the year before that, he did the Harry Potter movie. After yes. Children of Men, he didn't really do any... He didn't direct very much... It's like a it's four, seven-year gap almost. Between Children Men and Gravity. And then yeah. there's a five-year gap between Gravity and Roma. Yeah. So this dude is, he's not uh, hes not crazy about getting, 
about churning these projects out. Mm-hmm. también was one of those movies that I downloaded on my little uh, MP3 player. Oh, that okay. I see that makes sense. That movie's basically a porno. <laughs> it's not. See, it basically is. It's I w- I would say it's like a er- erotic drama. <laughs> oh, absolutely. AKA porno. The coming of age. But yeah, man, and this this film, I I mean, this is an incredible film. I think what's so great about this film is every time I go back and watch it, I notice something a little bit different. And since the years it's been released, um, people have done video essays about it. Nerdwriter one did it, did, did one, and even then, I'm still learning stuff about it. I bought, I went back and I bought a Cinefax magazine uh, uh, back back issue. And Cinefax yeah. is basically a, a little magazine that that talks about vi- visual effects in films, and they're still being released. They made I bought one for Infinity War. I still have that Do one. Do they make it easy to understand if you're not a film person? Depending on who writes it, sometimes that dude will like nerd out. But yeah. for the most part, you you understand what's happening. But I bought it for uh, Children of Men. The article is called The Human Project. Do you still have it? Oh, I have it in front of me right now. Oh, and they nice. Show you the, they, I'll, I'll, bring it, I'll bring it when we watch it. Because sh- they show you the before and after pictures. And, uh, you know, people who are like, VFX ruins films. Shut the fuck up. You, <laughs> you don't know. No. <laughs> I, I will not stand, especially I can I mean, again. Film is a visual effect. Yes, like it's, it's, it's a, in its It's a magic nature. trick. Yeah, it's a magic trick. So the, here are just people that are using different uh, different tricks. And oh my god, I mean, look, I get the criticism about VFX. Um, sometimes it's bloated, sometimes it looks horrible. But don't blow off VFX just because it's the easy target. I haven't. I've not seen this movie since. I think I might have seen it once on my laptop. But it's it's been several years since I've seen it. Ah, uh, last time I saw oh I when you saw Gravity, it's out in theaters. No, that wasn't the last time. Last time I saw it, maybe I rewatched it when my sister had an essay. She she's she's taking some film classes and we saw it together. And then before that, I went to Vegas with a friend, and he has a theater under in, in like in his basement, and we saw it there, and it was incredible. Um. So I've seen I've I've still been keeping up with it every once in a while. Yeah, it's it, I mean I I recommend this film without a doubt. Um, mm. Yeah, you you went out of your way not to spoil the movie, and like I've I've seen it. Who are you? <laughs> I I I know. I just I love it. It's yeah. It's, it's I think it's and because I feel like a lot of people still haven't seen it, and I think it's a very one of my favorite things about it. It's that it's an ex- incredibly accessible film. Yeah, incredibly accessible in that it's very deep. It's very layered. It has a lot of stuff in it, a lot of imagery. But for like if you're just an average viewer, you could still get a phenomenal amount of of enjoyment from the film. It may not be for everyone. I some I my I know it's not for my uncle. But if you're de- if you're looking for something a little different from, you know, from the from the superhero films, you can't always have margarita and beers. Sometimes you got to have some fine-ass wine. You know what I mean? And I'm not talking about that boxed wine shit. I'm not talking about that rosé. I'm talking about, like, you open it up and that's some French-ass wine. You know what I mean? Italian? This is that French-ass wine. Italian-ass wine? No, I'm talking about French. French well, which wine? wine is which is better? I don't know. I thought when I think of wine, I think of Italy. I think of France. Okay. France. Hell yeah. French-ass wine. This is some good-ass French-ass wine. So, but we'll, we'll right. be back. We'll talk a bit about more about the film, and then we'll give our opinions about it. So we'll talk to you guys later. All right.
See ya. The ultimate mystery. Why are women infertile? Why can't we make babies anymore? I need your help. Not for me, a girl. She's pregnant. Now you know what's at stake. We need to get her to the coast, past security checkpoints. So why did you come to me? I trust you. They want your baby. We have to leave. We're almost there, kid. We're almost there. Children of Man. Hey everyone, welcome back to Retrograde. We are talking about Children of Men. So we, Austin and I just got back from watching the movie. And what did you think, Austin? Well, I've seen this movie before and definitely watching this in 2019. I, I'm i picking up more on like the, the way they treat immigrants. Like when I first watched this movie, I wasn't really thinking about the, the xenophobia out of like the fear of this the epidemic of children not being born for what, like 20 years or so. Yeah. And how they they turn around and like almost blame immigrants for the the problem, you know. It's kind of funny how that yeah how we, how we were talking about that today in politics. Yeah, it's like what they're the easiest scapegoat. Yeah, immigrants are you know especially how people perceive them dirty can't you can't understand them. It's like yeah. of course they're the problem. That yeah. ah, how could they not be? Yeah, and having and having the film set in London. Just all these all these white people just surrounded by <laughs> dirty looking the Spaniards and you know um, black people Mexicans and it's just like yeah okay. and the, like the not Mexican but like Muslims right they, well, they, they occupy they, the military they, in the very beginning of the movie they said the soldiers are occupying mosques the film does a really good job because the Im- immigrants they had they had a pretty good share of everyone they had Muslims they had blacks they had Mexicans they had mm. They they even had like a lot of white people as well. If you pay attention, there's Germans in there, there's Austrians, mm-hmm. um, people who, who didn't speak English the way that you know the Londoners did. Exactly. So keep going. Yeah. So like watching that again, I'm like I'm picking up more on on that stuff, and I I'd for, completely forgotten about how they commercialized suicide mm-hmm. with the quietus. Quietus. Like, I think when I first watched it, I didn't really pick up on that. And there's a lot of things that are like in the movie that if you're watching it you're like oh oh that makes sense the the school is abandoned because the world without children doesn't need schools anymore yeah you don't need and 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 eventually you're not going to need universities but overall impressions i mean well well, i think the the film is like marvelously shot like those long takes there's so many moving everyone man if everyone they just ooh. They just they deep throw those long takes, man. I, I'm not <laughs> wrong. Christ. Yeah, it's not a pleasant way of saying it, but I mean, you you Google right now, listeners, go on Google and put best long takes in film history, and I I shit you not, I bet you money, I bet you fifty cents, fifty cents, fifty cents. I'm poor. <laughs> that Children of Men is gonna be on there without a doubt. One of the because this film has two long takes, um, like the, really big long takes. Yeah, there, there's several throughout the yes movie. Well, just to well, keep keep going, awesome. Keep um, yeah. So like, I noticed the 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 way they treat immigrants, the the commercialization of suicide, and also the the fact that there's so many animals in the movie. And like, at first, I was like, "That's a lot of is that a lot of dogs?" I feel like that's a lot of dogs. And like, no, that is a lot of dogs because like nowadays people have pets. You know, it's like one out of every two people has a pet. But back then, maybe it was a little different. In the movie, as I was watching, I'm like, these pets aren't just pets. They're their surrogate children because 
they can't have real children. So they take care of these animals. They they have that that parental role fulfilled by being a pet owner. Oh yeah, it, the movie in like first ten to fifteen minutes, I think, is one of the most important mo- uh, parts of a movie. It shows you without a crawl, right, that this world is a dystopian future where children are no longer being born. Like women are infertile and. Because of this, the world's youngest person is like an 18-year-old kid who's now a celebrity, right? And it opens with that character dying, and everybody's mourning it. And they're so sad that poor baby Diego, who's 18 years old and kind of a dick, is dead. Meanwhile, you know, people are being herded up and put into camps and locked up and killed and it's just yeah, Diego's is not what we should be focusing on right now. It's the, the how we're treating our people on a worldwide scale, you know. Yeah, it's there, then, there's there, a lot to unpack. And I remember like the explosion in the coffee shop. Right, we never find out who caused that. There's a lot of ambiguity in the film. Yeah, and it's one of my favorite parts about this film. Yeah. Um, oh, just to just to clear the ambiguity a bit out, let's let me just talk a little bit about the plot. Just so for those of you who haven't seen Children, which have been a lot of people, so the film takes place in London, 2027, and women cannot give birth anymore. Follow Theo Farron, played by Clive Owen, and he used to be a political activist with his wife Julian Moore or Julianne Julianne Moore, but her name's actually Julian in the yeah. film, mm-hmm. and she's part of a terrorist or as the government has deemed a terrorist group called the Fishes. And they kidnap Theo and they need him to get transport papers for for someone. He doesn't know who. He gets the papers from he gets the papers from his cousin, goes meets Julian, and he meets Keen, the uh African Fu- Fuji or a refugee, but they call him Fuji's in the film, who is looking to get to the coast. Theo doesn't know why, but you know, he does it for Julian. On their way to the uh transport place, they get ambushed. And Julian is killed in the ambush. And like their relationship is is pretty interesting because they it's clear that they still have feelings for each other. Yeah. So you have this this guy who's kind of like given up on on the, the good things in life because his he's son, apathetic. Yeah. He doesn't care. He he doesn't care. He's he's submitting to the apocalypse. Yeah. And Julian's still fighting. Yeah. And it's because of their kid that died. That's why they split apart. They well, they handle it, the grief. In the background, it's spoken that they had a child who had small, who had a uh, lung issues, and he passed away. Dylan to the flu epidemic. Yes, in twenty two thousand eight, two thousand seven, two thousand seven, which was the same year the movie came. Oh out. no, two thousand eight. You're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, two thousand eight. Yeah, because it was a, it was a, it was two thousand eight. Yeah. Um, and well, after Julian di- it dies, Theo is looking to leave back to his regular life, but then he finds out. That key uh, is pregnant with the first baby in almost 20 years. Yeah. And nobody knows what the fuck to do. Nobody knows. The fish is want to ultimately want to use the baby as a political symbol. They don't They don't want the government to have the baby because you don't know what the, the government will do. They'll probably do tests on, on them. Well, they'll, they'll do something. But, yeah, they, they, wouldn't, they, but they wouldn't it... acknowledge that the baby is from a refugee. Yeah. yeah. They wouldn't. And the rest of the film is basically Theo transporting Key to the coast where they are going to be picked up by the Human Project. The Human Project is a scientific group that is committed to finding a cure to the infertility. 
And from there, they go to Jasper, played by Michael Caine, um, who was a, a political cartoonist. And he has his wife, who's a photojournalist, who was tortured by MI5. So she's catatonic. Theo, Miriam, and Key, Miriam is her mid, is uh, Key's midwife, are being chased by the fishes. And they're the and it's find out we find out that the fishes are the ones who set up the ambush to kill Julian to give leadership to to Luke, played by uh, Chiwetel Mordo, the twelve years a slave guy. He uh, he. Um, uh, let me just play the pronunciation, and then we'll just pretend that we knew how to say his name all along. Chiwetel Ejiofor. Ejiofor. Chiwetel. Chiwetel Ejiofor. Chiwetel Ejiofor. Okay. So Chiwetel is Luke, and he wants to take the leadership from Julian, and so he sets up this ambush to kill her so he can be part, so he could be part of the leader of the fish and then he could lead the uprising. The uprising is the giant battle that takes place at the end of the film. They go to Beck's Hill, which is a refugee camp, which is very, very reminiscent of uh, World War II uh, ghettos in er, in Germany camps it's an interment camp it's a ghetto it's yeah it is it is an awful place and eventually Theo manages to save Key from Luke they get to the coast they get on the rowboat out to the sea they're waiting for the boat called the tomorrow that is being led by the human project and um Theo dies Theo dies he's shot at he's shot during the battle he dies on the boat but Key is picked up by the boat and you have to understand that they've never really, they've never spoken to the human project. The human project's like a myth yeah. set up through different mirrors. People that communicate through, you know, um, through, to have different ways of communicating. Yeah, it's like a giant game of telephone. But you don't know if the other person exists. Yeah. So they go there on a whim. So they, on their faith, their faith takes them to the to the ocean and they're yeah. eventually picked up. And that's how the film ends. Mm-hmm. I love this film for a lot of fucking reasons. Um, I think, I mean, we, let's, so I'm going to, I got to work backwards. We've got to start about just, we have to be specific. I mean, the acting's fantastic all around. Mm-hmm. You have Michael, Pl- Michael Caine doing a John Lennon impression. <laughs> he is. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Um, you have Clive Owen, who's just playing, he's playing this apathetic guy. He's still likable. He yeah. still has some personality. And you really feel like his journey, like, you know, that like in this kind of movie, all right, this guy's going to. He's a kind of a, a crappy dude right now, but he's going to come around and be a good guy and do the right thing. Yeah, and he does. And, and you, he, you experience every part of his journey. Absolutely. You, know, you experience his grief, his struggle, and... His, his apathy yeah. in the beginning and how he eventually sacrifices himself. You know, and he and he's, a, he's an incredible character because he loses everything. He lost his kid years ago, and now he loses Julian, and now he lost his friend. Michael Caine dies in the middle of the film. Uh, he's shot horrifically. Yeah. Uh, and Michael Caine has to kill his catatonic wife mm-hmm. using the suicide kit called Quietus that the yeah. government the government has handed out this uh, suicide kit for people if they choose to end their life. It's uh, it's, so the acting is top notch. Jul- Julianne Moore is uh, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, she's in the sc- she's in the movie for less than five minutes probably, or less less than ten for sure. Mm-hmm. But she leaves a huge impression. You have Chiwetel who is. Who's a bad? I mean, he's a bad guy, but he, he, he thinks he's in the right. He totally thinks he's in the right, and I mean, to, shit, the ambiguity of the film is what's so great because you—he's fighting for—he's fight, the fishes fight for immigrant rights because they are treated 
horrifically by the authoritarian British government at this point. Yeah. Which is another fucking point, how authoritarian governments can come from democracies. Yeah. This this movie is fucking layered with yeah. so much subtext. And you're talking about references to, to religion, mm-hmm. to politics, to art. They have references to um, – what's that dude? The, uh, well, they have to a bunch of uh, different artists. They have it to Pink Floyd. Radiohead? Which ref- radio, they make references to Radiohead. They make references, references to Radiohead. I think they use one of their songs. I didn't actually look into the Radiohead. Ah. I, I was more interested in Pink Floyd. All right. Because Pink Floyd's were referencing Animal Farm, which is talking about how uh, how England is overcome, how it's overcome by an authoritarian go- government, which is which is what happens in the film. 1984. Yeah. Or uh, no, no, no. Animal no, Farm anim- is the Bolshevik re- Revolution. Th- that's my bad. My bad. I'm getting them all confused. <laughs> but there's it's a like but Pink Floyd has a reference to Animal Farm. And it's all these different layers, all these different things that are happening in the background as well. I Nerdwriter made a video about how the background, how every image in the background, how there are different things happening in the background that reference other things. And that was a thing that Chivo, the cinematographer, said in an interview. He Or not in an interview, but that's something he told Cuaron and Cuaron said in an interview. He was like, Chivo was assistant on every frame having... Wow. having having a reference to something and whether it's religious political artistic and you 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 pay it and you could see it in the in the soundtrack and what's playing pink floyd and the references to the to the art and their meanings mm-hmm. and there's so much stuff in the back that's yeah. just like wait a second that's based off of this statue and this whole entire film is a reference to the nativity story yeah it's yeah. it's basically the nativity story. So like you never see Key's uh, baby daddy, no. and she kind of jokes that I'm a virgin. Yeah, they, <laughs> this movie loves the lo- loves. I mean, love it loves its references, mm-hmm. but it still can't. It still has a sense of humor enough to. It's like, oh yeah, no, it's maybe with, maybe with no fucking virgin. Yeah, and then like when the baby's born, you hear all the animals like go crazy in the background. You hear a horse. Yeah, like what the hell? Who has a horse in in the internment camp? <laughs> but they, it's very reminiscent of of uh, the nativity story yeah and other biblical stories as well because like you have uh your clive owens character theo he delivers her to the promised land but he dies right before he can you know experience that senior moses yeah and then they're what are they crossing in the they're crossing the sea Mm -hmm. uh granted he doesn't part them but no he doesn't part the seas (laughs) um so the casting is fantastic. All those references, the soundtrack is killer. Oh, you got a, a young Charlie Hunnam. Young Charlie Hunnam. He plays an asshole. He's horrible. He he is like he's worse than Luke. I think so because yeah. he's so like he's so upset that his uh, cousin died, who was doing a, an assassination on their friend. Yeah. Right, and it didn't. It wasn't like Clive Owen meant to kill him. He just opened a door and the dude fell off his bike. Yeah. So Charlie Hunnam's playing another biker. I forgot about that. Well, it's <laughs> He's Chandy, Jack Steller from the, Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> oh, that's right. In the ambush, it's Charlie. It's Charlie Hunnam, Patrick. His name's Patrick, and his cousin, uh, who are actually doing the shooting and riding the bike, and 
Theo knocks him off the bike and his cousin dies. He They keep referencing it in the film like, yeah, there's so much blood and shit, dirt. Yeah, he's going to die without a doubt. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, he was 19 years old. But like, dude, you're, you're shooting at a guy who's trying to get a baby to safety. Yeah. And he knows. A lot of people in the film don't know. Like a lot of the people don't know about Keith's pregnancy and they're trying to keep it a secret. But this guy knew. He knew exactly what he was fucking doing. But Yeah. Ugh. And he's one of those... I remember the first time I watched the movie, I was like, man, I want that guy to get his head blown off. I really wanted to see him die. And he does. He does die. But, like, you don't... It's like, not as gratifying. It's not... Because the movie's not really about that, you know? It's not about the gratification of, like, oh, I want to see the bad guy get his comeuppance, you know? No. It's not about that. It's And Clive Owen isn't even concerned about... He's not concerned about revenge for no. the guy who killed the love of his life. He's he, just trying to get this baby to safety. Yeah. And he and, and that's such a good great point cuz he doesn't he doesn't enact revenge on Luke or Patrick. He he doesn't care. He would he was going to go the rest of his life upset about what happened to Julian, but he's like I have a responsibility. This is the last thing she wanted and I I, I understand the gravity of the situation. Mm-hmm. So I have to have to get her to safety. And let's talk about the editing. Cuz the editing is this film is known for its long takes, but that's kind of I mean, the long takes are nice. They're cool. But I think this film has such an attitude about lingering on shots, which you don't really see often now. It's a sci-fi epic, but it lingers on things. It lingers on reactions. Most of the the film, the average length for some of these shots are like 5, 10, 15 seconds. Like, Mm -hmm. they don't really cut all that often. So a lot of sections in the film are actually one takes. Yeah. But you don't notice them because Mm -hmm. they're they're not like, except for those two the the car and the final battle yeah. which those are very obviously like this is a long take mm-hmm. the rest of the film is done very low key like this is sort of one take like we're on this person for like 30 the seconds school, right? in the school scene yeah mm-hmm. they reframe uh they're doing that spielberg thing those spielberg wonders where they're constantly reframing but the shots the shots are long mm-hmm. but they don't feel like they're not really self-aware long takes like the the car one and the war one are very immersive, but you realize this is a long take. Mm-hmm. Like this is a glorious look at this one take. Whereas the uh, Steven Spielberg Warner is like very like low key. Like you're not supposed to pay attention to that. You're supposed mm-hmm. to be involved in what's happening. And a lot of the film of Children of Men does that as well. Yeah, and that's thanks to Chivo, the the, the cinematographer, reframing these shots or knowing when to stay on a character's mm-hmm. reaction and like. One of the things, one of my favorite things was there's a scene where they take Key to Jasper's house in, out in the woods and he's talking to Miriam and Key about Theo's kid and how mm-hmm. Theo's faith, faith lost out to chance, the chance that Dylan, his baby would, Dylan, his baby would be killed by the flu. And he's explaining faith versus chance. Yeah, there you go. Julian and Theo met among a million protesters in a rally by chance, but they were there because of what they believed in in the first place, their faith. They wanted to change the world and their faith kept them together. But by chance, Dylan was born. This is him? Yeah, that's it. He'd he'd have been about your age, magical child. Beautiful. Their faith put in praxis. Praxis, what happened? Chance. He was their sweet little dream. He had little hands, little legs. Little feet, little lungs. And in 2008, along came the flu pandemic. 
And then by chance, it was gone. Oh, Jesus. You see, Theo's faith lost out to chance. So, why bother if life's going to make its own choices? And the, you, you know, it's the conversation goes on for a while, but we just linger on Theo. Yeah. And we just see his reaction. And the conversation's happening in the background, and you could see it's out of focus, but it's really just on him. And I, I like that emphasis on people's reactions. Yeah. And just kind of staying there with I mean, them. like, that's the point where if it were a musical, that's when Clive Owen would have his song. Yeah. Yeah, we're seeing how he reacts to this thing happening. And I think this just emphasizes how great of an, how, how great actors take advantage of that. Because you, you could easily... There's a difference between not showing anything and not having emotion. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like not, there's a difference to when... Because he's obviously... He's not, trying to mask his emotions. He's trying to mask his feelings. But you could see that. Yeah. And, and that makes it, I think, more tragic. Yeah. It makes it... Whereas some people are just like emotionless. It's like you have to play the scene emotionless. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't carry any charm or any weight to it. Whereas this, you can tell he's trying to hide his emotions yeah there's even that scene where he like walks out and cries by a tree when they bury julianne moore yeah and then he when it's time to go he like just straightens up his face gets up you could see him putting you could see him putting on that face yeah and that scene in the house really really shows what top level actors can do Mm -hmm. and uh it's just the, the way this film is cut, it's just so conservative, but it knows when to ramp up. The pregnancy, Key's pregnancy, that's all done in one take as well. Mm-hmm. Or and her delivery. Her, or her delivery, yes. Her pregnancy. <laughs> was <laughs> The nine-month long take, what? Or eight-month, I guess. <laughs> uh, but yeah, her delivery is all one take as well. But you, people don't really talk about it because it's, you know, it's, it's not concerned about, at that moment, concerned about you know showing you that it's a one take it's just like oh we are experiencing this delivery mm-hmm. along with theo and key yeah and i mean so let's i mean and that leaves that goes on to cinematography which it's probably one of the things that this film is always going to be talked about for yeah because it's by chivo emmanuel lubinsky who i mean let me pull up the man's filmography i i know chivo. a lot of his i know a lot of his filmography but i, I don't want to skimp out on anything he might have mm-hmm. done he recently did The Revenant. Oh, yeah. I think you mentioned it before. Like, he does these really, like, beautifully, like, constructed... The the shot always looks pretty, and you see where these characters are. You see the, the scenery. The scenery is almost like a character playing alongside the actors. This man is one of the best cinematographers out there. Let me show you. So, let me... I mean, like, even to the, the casual moviegoer, like, you can tell, oh... This kind of looks like uh, The Revenant, or this kind of looks like uh, that Terrence Malick movie with Brad Pitt, Tree of Life, dad or something. Yeah, yeah, he did Tree of Life. He did Birdman. Birdman was I the love film. Birdman. One take. That's sixteen one takes. Mm-hmm. He also did Gravity. He did To the Wonder, the Tree of Life, Burn After Reading. He's worked with the Burn After Reading, really. Burn After Reading. I love that movie. He did Children of Men. The New World, A Series of Unfortunate Events, Y Tu Mama También. This man, Sleepy Hollow, he's worked with Tim Burton, <laughs> The Little Prince. I mean, this man's career is spanning. Just on his last films, just on the f- last films alone, Birdman. I mean, how many nominations did he get? Did he win for that? Yeah, he did. I think he did. I'm just looking at the list. That it, I think it... 
So what exactly does a cinematographer do? Cinematographers are the guys that are in charge of the camera. They they frame up the shots and they light the thing. And their job is they're basically the directors of the lighting department and the camera department. You know, so the director has to deal with everyone and the actors. The DP basically directs the DP is the cinematographer. Yeah, the director of photography. He deals with the camera movement and the team that moves the camera. He deals with the lighting team, the gaffers, best boys, grips. He deals with everyone. And he's like, "All right. I want this light here and I want it at half a I want it at half the temperature. It needs to hit this level of exposure. Uh, we're going to bounce that light into this and we're going to diffuse it and we're going to have that's that's kind of the the lingo." Mm-hmm. Um that he that he kind of has and he talks to like all right we're gonna start over here and we're gonna dolly over here and i need you to do this and i need you to be quicker with the fall like that's the thing about these long takes it's like you you don't realize that there's so many things going on behind the camera that are lighting it that are like and they're trying to stay out of the frame of the camera so not to break the illusion that what you're seeing is a movie these things these that final battle was such an elaborate one take. It's so crazy because you're going into a building, up the stairs, down the stairs, through all these people. Like, you're, if you bump into somebody, it's game over. Well, it's know? funny that you say that because that entire sequence took like they had 14 days to film it. They didn't start filming until day 12, and they had messed up. And when you mess because they messed up on a couple of takes. That meant that the day was gone because resetting everything took so long. Jesus Christ. Resetting it took like five hours, but because they needed the sun at a sp- they needed a oh, certain. Oh, that's right. It's all outside. Mo- yeah. The bulk of it is outside except inside. But they were like, because most of it is outside. It takes five hours to reset everything. We can't because it'll be dark when we when we do the second take. That um, so Oh, the camera guy in during the final scene fell. <laughs> The camera guy <laughs> fell. He tripped, oh and because God. the guy tripped, they had they, the day was over. The day was gone. It's incredible. And I'm not even blaming him. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're, you're walking backwards. He's walking backwards and forwards, and he's he's bumping into all these things. And there's so much debris. I can't. I mean, I can't blame the operator. I really no, can't. Like, no, I I just, feel bad for him. And like they they stuck to their guns. And I think when people stick to their guns, they believe in their vision and they trust each other. Like. Quaron has a relationship with this guy, right? The director. Yeah. They they know each other, and that's you. You can tell, you know. Yeah. You, well, they're 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 friends. They're like mm-hmm. they're not they're not like DP and director. They're like homegrown friends. They went yeah. to university together. Yeah, and like if it's someone you don't trust, and they're like falling and stuff, you're gonna be like, "What the fuck are you falling for?" And then like maybe you change the shot. You yeah. know? Well, it's it's funny that you say it's so in the actual final film. When Theo, in that final battle, Theo gets on the bus and um, Patrick, Charlie Hunnam's character, actually shoots at the bus. He kills or he shoots one of the one of the one of the Fugees mm-hmm. and some of the R. blood. R.I.P. Wyclef. Huh? R.I.P. Wyclef. Pete Wy. Never mind. <laughs> what? what, what? I... Uh, he, uh, Jean Wyclef, he's one of the Fugees with Lauren Hill. Oh, okay. God damn it. <laughs> so... When they shoot the when they shoot the guy, he has he has squibs, mm-hmm. you know that when he when he gets shot, the squibs are supposed to fire off in the blood. Wait, the, do you know about this? No, but like the I just think the idea of squibs is something that like the casual moviegoer doesn't know about. They're well, they're so like when you get shot, these squibs are activated. They're like little ex- tiny explosives, like 
hidden in your like clothes and stuff. So when you get fired, it looks like the you're get, yeah. you're getting hit with so bullets. like that that blood is like a real thing. It's not put it in in post. No, it's a real thing. And the funny thing is that they the squibs in the final film the the blood gets on the camera, right? Some of the some of the blood squibs. That was on, real. That was real. Oh. That was that wasn't a CGI <laughs> effect. The the blood got on the camera. And that wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> that was a total accident. Oh my! It, it lands so perfectly, though. It does. It doesn't interfere with the shot or anything. It's just like. Oh and here, well, God. here's the thing. Here's the funny thing. Because the camera guy had fallen, and they had had uh like another incident. Like this was one of their final days. And when Quaron saw the squib, I saw the blood on the camera. He yelled, "Cut!" But because there was an explosion happening at the moment, oh, nobody heard oh him. Oh, my God. Nobody heard him, so they kept going through it. And Chiva was like, no, you idiot. Like, keep it going. And they and it made it into the final film. And it's incredible because that blood on the camera is one of, one, of the, one of the most talked about things. Like, I love it when the camera, when the blood gets on the camera. It's yeah. like, yeah. Cause it's, and that's one of the things about the cinematography. They try – Chivo and – and Alfonso go about it as a documentary. Mm-hmm. They, 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 Cinema Verite. They go about it as if they're filming a documentary. So Cinema it's, Verite. Yeah, that that's the reference to a style of filmmaking that is supposed to evoke a documentary style. Okay. Very handheld. Think about David Fincher. Mm-hmm. He's locked off on a dolly. It looks very classic Hollywoody. Yeah. Um, but Alfonso's like, no, I want you to walk around. I need, I need to yeah. see your footsteps. You feel like you're in there with them. Like Ex- you're like, holy shit, Clive Owen, help me. <laughs> yeah, and it's a documentary feel. Yeah. So when, so when you've got the blood on the camera, Chief was like, no, this is part of the style. This is what we're doing. We're it's getting a happy accident. It's a hap- It's a happy miracle because mm. it got because the take worked. It was on their final day, and oh. it looks even better. And Alfonso wasn't – he was about to say – he yelled cut, but nobody heard him because there was an explosion. Mm. But, you know, like that's what – that's the thing. Like the, you have – you believe in this vision and you hire people that also believe in the same vision. So maybe sometimes the director is wrong. Yeah. And he and, – and, and this was a moment where Alfonso was wrong. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because in the other long take of the film, in the ambush – so for a lot of people that don't know, the, the, the ambush scene – Basically, it's a long take because the camera is on the roof, not on the roof, but it's in inside of the car, hovering between all the characters. Yeah, it feels like if you ever watched like that '70s show when they're like smoking weed, it, the camera is like right in the middle of the table and it's going around. Yes, right? that's that's literally how it feels. Imagine that in a car. Yeah, in the tight space of a freaking SUV with five people in it. And they didn't know they didn't know how they were gonna do it, so Alfonso. After hiring people and like having prep days, like, all right, we're going to green screen it. It's like, I know exactly how we're going to green screen it. And Chivo stood his ground. like, no, if you green screen it, I quit. Chivo said that. He was like, if you do this, I will quit. And he hired like a pseudo cinematographer to start taking over. And then the and then the production or the production designers and the, the equipment team was like, all right, we could kind of figure out how to do this. Mm-hmm. And they built a, a a doggy car, which is basically the car is on this um a rig a, on this rig that has two drivers, one moving forward, <laughs> and when the and when they drip, so so here so the car you know there's a driver in the front of the car right. to see where they're driving right, mm-hmm. but when the car goes in reverse in the scene, they have a driver in the back oh who's driving. God. So he's just like waiting for this time to go. <laughs> yeah, when they're driving forward. 
It's time. Oh, time to go. And there's an, an entire top section to the car that you don't see that they had to CGI out. It's kind of like, uh, you know, those minivans mm-hmm. that have like a top section that's reserved for like sleeping or something, you know, like a, like to lay down. Like they put your surfboard or? Kind of. But in this one, <laughs> it was to have the cam- camera crew and Alfonso. So they're crouching on the, t- the roof of what? this car. Why are they in the car? No, they're like on the top section because they need because they need to handle the because they need to move the camera around. Oh. Alfonso's there giving directions to the camera team, and the camera team is it's only like three of them. One of the action scenes in the film takes place in a car, and it was just a huge action scene. You have actors and stuntmen outside the car. You have our actors inside the car, and given that it's a car in an enclosed space. You can't fit a camera crew in a car. And, and I was willing to compromise and says, well, you know, if we have to go green screen, maybe it's the only way. And he was saying, this is not a green screen movie. You're crazy. This movie has to look raw. It has to look real. You, need, you want the interaction of the light that goes through the windscreen and, the, and, and how the shades of the trees around you and the people running a, a, around. So Alfonso and Chivo, Emmanuel Lebesgue, the cinematographer, came up with this unbelievable piece of machinery that allowed them to cover this 12 minutes of film basically without a cut. We put together a sophisticated little rig here that uh, incorporates the sparrow head from doggy cam and two power slides which work together to move the camera in and out, forward, backwards, right and left. And basically in this configuration we can put the camera anywhere inside of this moving vehicle and be able to look around 360 out the window and never see any rigging or be bothered by any uh, obstructions. It's and insane. <laughs> and just to get it practically. Yeah, and then like you gotta throw in that there's there's a mob that chases this car. There's a flaming car that rolls in and stops them. There's a motorcycle that comes after them, and then there's a cop cars that whiz by. So you have you it, all, all the these effects moving pieces. Yeah, the you have to get the they throw a Molotov at the car. You have to get that effect right. Oh, fuck, that's right. You have to get the motorcyclist. Almost set Alfonso Cuarón on fire. You could have. Then they had to get the motorcyclist and their fall because they fall. The motorcyclist fall. fall. They have to shoot. The, they have to shoot Miriam, so they have to get that effect right, and they have to get the squib right, and they have to get the amount of blood because when Miriam get or uh, Julian gets shot, she her 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 white shirt basically is consumed red. Yeah. So they have to get all these effects right. Then they have to drive away, and then they have the two police officers come over, and then you have to have Luke kill both of them. And the camera, it's still in the long take, so they don't cut away. The camera, they actually get the camera out of the car. That's right. And they go outside when the. Luke shoots the two cops. Theo gets out. Luke shoots the cops. Theo gets out of the car. He's like, what are you doing? And Luke's like, get in the fucking car. They pull the camera out of this entire system just to go outside. For and that. Then, and then they drive away and the camera lingers on the cops' bodies. And that's all without cutting. That's insane. And and because of that, you f- it feels so much more intense. You know, this is like... A real thing that's happening, and you're one of the main characters just got killed. Twenty eight minutes into the Julian Moore, arguably the, the biggest star. She was the biggest star. Julian Moore was the biggest star in this film, and she dies twenty eight minutes into the fucking film. Like Mar- Marion, whatever from Psycho. <laughs> yeah, the biggest star just died. Mm-hmm. They just killed her off. The the 
And some people, there's conflicting reports. Some people say Alfonso was a pain in the ass. Some people said he was too much of a baby. I mean, I kind of can't blame him. Because, I mean, the just the level of intricacies that are involved. Just think, just think about that one scene alone in the yeah. car. And having to build everything. And having to coordinate and rehearse all of these different extras. Yeah. And it's a safety thing, too. Because you don't want anyone to fucking die in your movie. So you have yeah. to, like, make sure, okay, these bicyclists have to fall here. And they have to land this way because I don't want, you know. Yeah. And it's all in the long take. Mm-hmm. So if something happens, if something does happen, if someone messes up, you have to reset everything. And, like, in the final battle, it takes four fucking ever. There's a tank involved in the fi- No, there's multiple tanks involved yeah. in the final battle. It's insane. Yeah. Avenger movies, I'm sorry, man, but they don't get bigger than this. They really don't. I mean, look, it's those films are huge, and I don't want to talk bad about them, but it's just... When, when you're tricking people in front of a camera, you know, it's not like correcting mistakes maybe that were done you're correcting mistakes via computer several days removed from filming no you know? it's you're, you're do you're you have to get these things right on the day of or you have to get crafty in the opening scene another thing i read was uh theo goes into the coffee shop and he walks out and then you see london mm-hmm. you know there's a lot it's very vfx heavy because you have the billboards and you have uh, a lot of the background stuff added in in post. Because yeah. I showed you the picture of the before, mm-hmm. and it looked like a regular London street. Mm-hmm. Something I found out in that in that first scene, those cars were so a lot of them were CGI'd as well. Really? Yeah, because on the day of when he when Alfonso saw the cars that they had gotten for that scene, they were like, "These cars are way too nice. Mm-hmm. It's not supposed to be a nice futuristic. It's supposed to be a dystopia, and these cars yeah. are supposed to look ugly." So they put markers on all the cars and they eventually had to CGI out the niceness and make the cars look ugly. It's funny because one of the producers like that quickly became a multi-million dollar shot that we did. It's insane. Mm -hmm. Just the stories that are coming from this. Then it's just from the production. Like, did we we talk about the story at all? Like, no, we we have we we just summarized it, but Mm -hmm. we haven't spoken about the story, which I mean, we could we could talk about now. Okay. Um, so I talked about how before I watched, like, the movie was pitched to me as the sci-fi action movie where the guy doesn't use a gun, right? And watching it again, he really, he, it doesn't even come across as an option to him because he's so focused on moving. And there's that, he does hit a guy with the, with the car battery. (laughs) And he does, like, open a door and knock a motorcyclist off of his thing. And he does, like, grab a guy who's about to shoot him yeah there's action in it but it's not his intention is for the most part outside of the car battery scene his intention is not really to kill but to just get away yeah and with sid uh, uh, sid is the security guard that's hunting them down it it, when they're in the refugee camp he really just does it because he's after them and he's a he's a huge threat he has a gun yeah and he's trying to get money out of it he's trying to yeah like for right from the beginning right when sid is introduced and uh, so Sid is supposed to be like their inside man. Like he's a cop. He's friends with Michael Caine's character, who's friends with Clive Owen's character. Um, so he gives Sid the the call sign, the the, the catch password. The like, fat. Uh, you're a fascist pig. You're a fascist pig. <laughs> right. And then Sid, you know, he thinks that this is an opportunity to show how funny of a guy he is. And he's like, "What did you say? Say that again." And he makes Clive Owen say it like three times. And then he pretends like he's going to hit him. He's like, ah, I'm just joking with you. And it's like. That's a that's, shitty way to. That's a shitty way to, to fucking 
joke around with someone. Like this person's trusting you for safe passage, and this is how you're gonna treat them. Like, when this is how police officers treat immigrants and suspicion looking, suspicious looking people. Yeah, this it, is not a. It's do you not remember a, that that story that uh, that Chris told us about, like the cop making his friend crip walk over yeah. over the weed. Yeah, but like that power trip of like yeah. making somebody do something out of fear of I'm I'm the law, I can do whatever I want. Absolutely, yeah, and that's literally what happens here. And like, oh, that it it like disgusts me. Oh yeah, you he's another one a... of those characters. I'm like, oh, fuck this guy up. You know? Oh yeah, <laughs> and he does, and even even Alfonso knows it. But it's funny because. Theo doesn't really do it because he dislikes that. He just no, he's, he's trying to to, he, to protect Key yeah. to protect Key because because Sid finds out about the baby. This yeah. is after she delivered it, and he finds out. He's like, you know what? Now I know the fishes are looking for you, and I know the government's looking for you for killing those two cops. And now you have a baby. Shit, he's gonna cash in. So Theo and Theo Theo doesn't really care about that. He's just like, you're you're gonna hurt Key, or you're yeah. you're gonna get in the way of us getting this baby to and, the human project. You are endangering the world because of this, and yeah. I'm gonna stop you. And he yeah. doesn't intentionally try. To, I mean, I don't know if he thought he was gonna kill him with the car battery. He definitely waited for him. He waited for him to peek. He wait. He wait. <laughs> he definitely waited for them to peek. It's basically when Sid steps out of a door, Theo's already waiting with the car. He's battery. He's got the car battery ready. <laughs> but like, what the unsung hero of this movie? Marichka. Marichka. Yeah. So when oh, they when okay. they get to the refugee camp, right? They have. Sid tells him that there's a contact, and she has an annoying dog with her. You'll he's like he, he describes her as like an Arab gypsy has a stupid dog with uh, with her. Yeah, and when you first meet her, she takes him to the the flat where the baby's to be delivered. And as she's trying to tell him about like, oh, this is the water, this is the bathroom, this is all the, your your furnishings in this apartment, Clive Owen's like pushing her out of the door before she can see that there's a baby. Yeah, right. And then because no one still know no one still knows that this no one of- knows except for yeah. And then when Next day happens, the uprising is starting, right? There's there's a war going on. Sid comes in because he knows these people might have something of value. Marichka's there with him. And immediately, when Marichka sees that they have a baby, she's like, oh, I need to warn them that Sid is not a good guy. But she doesn't speak and English. She, and she doesn't speak English. And she does her best. She, she like, insists, like, no, 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 I must be her this time. Like, and he's like, you, bad, you, bad, bad, bad. Yeah, I let you kick me out when I was telling you about the apartment. But now, no. I, now I have to make sure you understand something. <laughs> and she's like, no, bad, 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 bad. And then she gets, like, punched and beaten. And then she comes back. She comes back and, like, tackles him. She tackles him. Yeah. And he – and then uh, Theo – like grabs him from behind and he's like and Sid is firing off all his bullets into the air and once he hears that it's empty Marishka comes in with like this what is like, she she has like a, a pipe wrench or something yeah it's some kind of broke like it's it's not a weapon it's something she found in like the the seconds that this is happening like she just makes a choice I'm gonna I'm on this I'm on this team I'm on the team that doesn't have a gun <laughs> Oh, my God, the 
And she does she has nothing to to gain from this. Like no. she has her dog, and when the dude like uh, he does something to the dog, right? He kicks the dog. Yeah. Yeah, and she's like, "No, I'm a, my baby. That's her her kid. That's her baby, right?" But she's like, "No, I'm gonna I'm still gonna risk it all." To help these people against this dirty cop. She and then comes she, in with that, that freaking wrench and just beats the crap out of him. She beats the shit out of him <laughs> pretty badly, too. Yeah. And and then when because so they need a rowboat, they need a boat to get to, to the to, to the tomorrow, the human project ship. And he he's he's like, We need a boat, we need a fucking boat. And he draws out a boat and immediately she's like, Oh, I know exactly what to do. She takes him to the safe house. They he, give he has to draw a boat because they don't speak the same language. Yeah. He she takes him to a place and there's like um there's like a German old lady there, but they're like good people. Oh yeah. They give Theo shoes because he's been walking around with sandals and barefoot. The whole time. And he found he's, out the, about the plot. He steps on glass. That he does actually. He's like Bruce Willis. <laughs> they give him shoes, and she she hooks him up with the boat. And after the entire battle, once Theo gets keyed back, he's like, "Marisha, get on the boat." She's like, "No." She like she she can't speak English, but she's like, "No, I'm I'm staying behind." And it's she doesn't want to slow them down. She she doesn't want to. She's baggage at mm. that point. And that's when once they're out in sea, you see the missile, the the jets come in and bomb the shit out of Bexhill. Mm-hmm. She probably died there. Yeah, it's it's unclear. It's unclear, but she probably died. She, I mean, she was gonna die either way. She's a she's a refugee in this camp where the military are coming in and like they they are openly shooting civilians. Civilians. There's a they scene, can't tell who's the part of the the, the resistance group, the terrorist slash revolutionaries. Um, so they just kill indiscriminately in this. In the one tick at the end, there's a bunch of them that are stepping out of the building that the that keys in. Yeah. And you see it from Dale's perspective. They're walking out with their hands up, and the, the the military just shoots them down. Yeah, they they know that the fishes are in the building. The fishes are in the building, and the the people are just living there. They're like, oh, there's going to be a fight here. We don't want to be a part of this. We're going to walk out with our hands up. With and they even have like a bed sheet, like a mm. white flag, like don't shoot us. The military just guns them down without. So, so this is the world that they live in, and Marichka makes the decision right then and there. I'm going to help these people. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to stay behind. Yeah. In this film is, it's I, I I love it. And there's even a part where she has the baby. She could run off with the baby. Yeah, but she doesn't. She stays for Theo, and yeah. she stays with him because she knows she has a part to play. She has a responsibility, mm-hmm. and she's doing everything she can. And there's that moment when um, they finally get, or uh, Clavon finally gets Key back from uh, Luke, like the I guess the antagonist yeah. of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and they walk out with the baby and everybody sees the baby and everyone just stops yeah. because they've never seen a baby before. And like the, the people, the, the immigrants living in this building, they just stand up as like gunshots are whizzing by. People are dying. Yeah. There's a dude who's staring at the baby in the background and he dies getting shot through a yeah. stray bullet. And people don't, they don't stop st- where they are. They don't stop standing and staring at the baby. It's almost like they, they kind of shield the baby. Yeah. And the revolutionaries or terrorists that run up the stairs, they even give their blessing to the baby as they're being chased by the, the military. The guys, yeah, like, cease firing, cease firing. They're like maybe 20 steps away from the their enemy. And the, the commanding officer that sees the baby, he gives the order to, to cease fire. And for a moment, there's just no violence. Everyone's just like watching this baby in this woman's arms walking out of the building safely. <laughs> Oh my God, the baby! Blood 
And then the fucking fishes have to ruin it because they shoot an RPG yeah, at a tank. Yeah, and they shoot an RPG at a tank, which causes the building to just be lit up by yeah. like go soldiers, guns, and tanks, and eventually the jets that bl- drop the bombs. Yeah. Like <sighs> this, this film is incredible. It's I, I want to talk about why I love this film so much because I think it definitely because the the reason I love this film is because. It's, it does all of these things and it does them well, but it's I think it's because it comes at this beautiful marker where the, it comes in the middle between these two things that I, there are films that you watch to be entertained and then there are films that you watch because they're great and you may not like them, but they're great movies, right? Like they're, they're, yeah. they're the intellectual think pieces that you, the cinema. Yeah. <laughs> but there's this movie... It's also very exciting. It's very thrilling. There's it's, a, it hits a that thrill. middle. It's yeah. it is equal parts entertaining, but it's also really really deep. And mm-hmm. it talks about all of these fucking things that people are now just paying attention to. And and Alfonso Cuarón even said in the interview, like this this shit's been happening forever. You, we've just been complacent. We've been Theo. Mm-hmm. There's an app. We have an apathy towards all the shit that's happening in the world that we have not been paying attention to. And now, and pe- people are now paying attention. This movie is deep. Yeah. This film deals with like 9-11. It deals with what's happening in the Middle East. It has all these references and, and allusions. But it's still an exciting film. And it's still re- like really exciting to watch. And it grabs me. It still makes me really like feel like mm-hmm. tension. Especially when, when they're in the door. Like when Sid is chasing them with the gun in the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I think that scene is better than the Rogue One Darth Vader scene. And I'm the biggest Star Wars fan. <laughs> like, because in that movie, I'm like kind of cheering for Darth Vader to get those rebels. You know, it's it, like it's so much of you like, want to see Darth Vader tear these I guys wanna up. I want to see Darth Vader in action. But like, I'm not supposed to. Yeah. Right. I want like the the, the entire movie's point was for them to deliver this this uh, secret information to the rebels. Right. That's they're in. And I shouldn't be like rooting for their them to fail. No, but you kind of want to. But because... I kind of want to because it's such like a the way it's shot is just like a oh shit, Darth Vader, oh get him. And it was an exciting scene, it's but it doesn't really scene, make sense. Right? But it, the same scene in Children of Men, they're trying to get through that door that just won't open, and I'm like no, no. And the timing is so you're like fuck, just, oh, it's yeah. so long. Just to get through a fucking door. It's it's a one take, right? So like they're trying to get through the door, and it goes back to Sid, who's like recovering from the the probably concussion that he got from Arichka, and he's like looking for his gun, and you know he's like gonna reload. He's he's coming, right? Yeah. He's not dead, and the baby won't fit through. A key won't fit through. It's just that's that's how you're supposed to feel in yeah. that scene. That entire that entire ending mm-hmm. is incredible, and it's it's just as exciting as it's more exciting than most of the stuff out there, but it's always very well done. Mm-hmm. It's very tastefully done. It's exciting and it's well made, and I, it's and what I what I love about it it's it's a very simple it's a very accessible simple movie. It's yeah. it's very simple. 
it's and what I love about it, it's you you think it's you say the idea, it's like you can already see the possibilities as a viewer. It's like women cannot give birth anymore. Mm-hmm. You already think you yourself already think about the possibilities. And it's a simple concept. But it's very deep in its portrayal. It's very deep. It has all these illusions and references, and it deals with political, with the political landscape and how an authoritarian government came from a democracy, mm-hmm. a democratic government. How they treat immigrants and how they treat the, the fertility tests in that movie. They are mandatory. They are mandatory. If you avoid them, it's illegal. Yeah, women don't have control. How of they their deal bodies. with how how they deal with a, a, a suicide, a, assisted suicides. Mm-hmm. And the entire, and they even talk about weed. It's like, wow, you have you have these suicide kits, but weed is still illegal. Right. It it deals with literally all of these things, and you can dwell into all of them. But the film never loses focus. Mm-hmm. The film is always headed towards that goal of getting key to the boat, mm-hmm. and that's and it's exciting. Yeah. And it's it's easy to understand too. You don't need to you know you don't need to know the fish's motivation. And that's mm-hmm. what I love too. The some of the ambiguity, so you can insert some of your own meaning because you don't really the the fishes are fighting for immigrant rights, but for equal rights e- for equal rights. But you but they're terrorists. And they even admit it. Like we used to bomb, but now we don't. We don't do. They're like I know what you did at the coffee shop. I was like ah, oh, we don't do that anymore. But but like, that means that they did. <laughs> You're it's not out of character for you to bomb another coffee shop. Exactly. You have all these references, like and they do. That, I'm sorry, but like they do that again, right? Because when Luke first catches up to, or not, like when he catches up to them towards the end, and he takes Key away, what does he say? Do them when they're around the corner. You put them in danger. Oh yeah. And then he literally takes them to the front line of the war. Yeah. Where he he puts them in danger. He puts all the refugees in that camp in, in danger. The reason the military is shooting so many people is because they can't tell the fishes apart from the refugees. Because they broke in to get the baby. Yeah, and you have to also think like this is an authoritarian government, but but they're one of the last functioning governments in the world. Yeah, they, they even like wear that as a badge of honor. Like, yeah, all these places are gone, but not you don't know, And you don't know what happens to the other to, to the rest of the world. There's a mm-hmm. scene where Theo first meets Julian. He's like, hey, so were your parents in New York when it happened? She's like, yeah. He's like, oh, shit. They don't fucking explain what happened. They don't know. you. And as the film goes on, you're slowly learning yeah. a little bit about what happens, but they, they, they make it very subtle. You don't know that... You don't see the torture that uh, Jasper's wife goes through, but you realize that she was a photojournalist, and there's an article in the background that says MI5 tortured, photo, f- suspected of torturing, and you see her catatonic, so you put it together. And Jasper still takes care of her. Yeah. You, and then... Uh, and he still acts like there is still good in the world, and that's why he's able to make the sacrifice and allow um, Theo and Key and Miriam yeah. to safe passage. He... he Gives his life up so they can leave safely. Oh, there's so much. There's so much happening. There's a scene where Miriam is explaining how the how the how the uh, outbreak happened. Yeah, the, and the uh, and it's it's creepy. But so so just enough. Oh, just enough is given to you, so you could piece together yeah. this particular story. But the world is still very. It's not f- force fed. One of my favorite fucking things that I love about this. Is that they never talk about why women can't give birth? Because mm-hmm. I know a lot of people will watch a film and be like, "Well, I'd like to know why this. Like, I want to know why women can't give birth." 
because not even the characters in the fucking film know. They don't know. He's like, it could be pollution. It could be technology. It could be. We don't know what it is. Nobody, nobody knows. And it's not the point. And that's not the point. It's a, it's a, it's a character's journey. And basically, this character represents humanity. It's just how apathy could just lead you to this shitty place. Yeah, that's what happens when you let chance beat faith. Exactly, as, as Jasper puts it. Um, and this, and, so, and they never talk about like they, they're like, we don't know how it is. There, there's no even, there's not even a, a, a surefire way that they can reproduce. The only time that the question is asked, why do you think women can't give birth anymore, is that, that fucking joke that Jasper does, where yeah, he's like, like, I don't, I haven't the faintest idea. But the historic is really fucking good. <laughs> the human project gives this great big dinner for all the scientists and sages in the world. They're tossing around theories about the ultimate mystery. Why are women infertile? Why can't we make babies anymore? Some of them say it's genetic experiments, gamma rays, pollution. Same old, same old. Anyway, in the corner, he's seen his men sitting. He hasn't said a word. He's just tucking into his dinner. <laughs> so they decide to ask him. They say, well, why do you think we can't make babies anymore? And he looks up at them, and he's chewing on this great big wing. And he says, I haven't the faintest idea, he said. But this stalk is quite tasty, isn't it? Fucking <laughs> 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 stalk. <laughs> and it's just like, what? So, so we're just gonna leave this dangling? Yeah. It's like we don't know. Nobody knows, mm-hmm. and that's but that's not the point of the film. They don't throw some right. science mumbo jumbo at. Well, the X Y Z chromosome had a baby, and that baby was like, "I'm not gonna have any other babies around." <laughs> so it's like, "Oh well, fuck! Like, should we out of luck?" No, it's just that's not the point. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, it's, that's that's the fucking See, brilliant. Like, why do you think? Because the movie when it was released, all these awards, Oscar noms. I know why, why I failed. Why? I know why I failed. Why? So we were talking, and that was a mystery. Uh-huh. So I looked into it. So one of the stu- the studio head for Universal's okayed the film after mm-hmm. he he pitched the idea in two thousand. Well, he got the script in two thousand one, mm-hmm. but he didn't like it, so he started rewriting it. But no, really, studio was really looking to make a sci fi, a bleak sci fi film about the end of the world because women can't give birth. Then Warner Brothers poached them to make Prisoner of Azkaban. And while he was working on Prisoner of Azkaban, oh. he was working on Children of Men. When that film was released, in the studio head at the time, they said, we we we're, we lost out. We fucked up. Because once you go into a franchise, you never leave. Mm-hmm. But Alfonso left. Um, and he, he left, and that's when Universal was way more interested in making Children of Men. Because from the director of Prisoner of Azkaban? Yeah, because because it played so well. They really liked what he did with that vision. And they were like, all right, we're, we're way more eager to work with you now. Mm-hmm. So 2005 comes around and they start working on it. They're working on the film. And the studio head leaves Universal. She leaves. Mm. There's a shuffle in, in, in leadership. Kind mm. of what, what happened with Disney and Fox recently. There's a, there's a sh- change in leadership. And mm-hmm. the new leadership did not like what they saw. They didn't like the film, and they didn't know how to market it. Mm-hmm. In all the articles I read, they were like, Universal, had, the team literally had no idea how to pitch this. And they didn't like that they were marketing a film that they didn't okay. So they basically just dumped the film. They did what little marketing, what little they could do. The film, they released the film in the September. They were supposed to release the film in September alongside the film, the film festival release. But because they saw, they thought that it had Oscar potential. They pushed it to December, but that's really all they did, though. They just released it in the window. Isn't December kind of like the year where it's not really like a very profitable uh, qu- quadrant? 
December? No, December could be because people want to go out. People are willing to spend money. Mm-hmm. I mean, Star Wars is going to come out. Yeah, but Star Wars is Star Wars. But Jumanji's coming out as well, and that's going to make a billion as well. You think so? Oh, the the Jumanji mm-hmm. Welcome to the Jungle made a billion. Oh. It, J- December can be profitable, but December is also the month where prestigious films come out. Mm-hmm. Remember, it's October, November, December when these award honeys come mm-hmm. out because the Oscars come out in February, March. So they, so that's all as far as they went. They're like, there's some potential to to get some awards from this, but that's all they did. Mm. The posters for this completely uninspired. There's a poster of a baby, some cryptic text in a black background. There's like one. There's like a fucking uh, cheap ass poster where it's like he can only he's the only one that can save our one hope. It's like what? Even the is, even pe- is he Jesus? What? <laughs> even even the even the film team was like, yeah. The, the studio team were like, yeah. We kind of messed up. We dropped the ball. Yeah. The marketing was awful for the I film. I never saw commercials for it. And no, you I didn't either. I didn't. The only reason I found out about this film because my fuck with my uncle was like, oh, this is a shitty movie, and I was curious. But I'm not most people. Imagine most people would have been like, oh, that's a shitty movie. I'm not gonna watch it. They would have taken that fucker's word. Yeah. It's only because of my curiosity for watching bad stuff. <laughs> and in the end, it wasn't. He was wrong. But it, they literally talked about how they, even the Quaron was like, yeah, they messed up the marketing. That's so unfortunate. And that's another and that, case of the studio not believing in the project. This one, well, the, the studio had before who okayed it was like, I don't get it. But I love what you're doing. And I love how you do it. So let's mm-hmm. go for it. So she was way more committed to 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 putting in the effort but because the new because the new team came in and this film was going up against pursuit of happiness this was going up against um like the departed Mm -hmm. you know and it's a bleak sci-fi film how do you how do you pitch that you know what i mean yeah against uh matt damon and leonardo dicaprio and jack nicholson in a scorsese movie with jack nicholson yeah playing the lead villain but they messed up and, that, and I was curious before. I was like, "Why? Why did this film not reach as many people?" It's marketing. They mess, they botched it up. It's unfortunate. Um, but but I'm happy to report that after that, so the film made seventy million off a budget of a seventy two or seventy six, one of those. And as you said before, you need to kind of make double for it to be like a big, a, a success. It really depends. But at that point, yeah. But the film went on to make $25 million in DVD sales. They weren't expecting that. And the film mm-hmm. has only grown since even more so. Mm-hmm. Like, there, if you Google Children of Men right now, there's a bunch of articles from 2006, 16, 17, basically post-Trump, mm-hmm. where the film's like, this is more important than ever before. Yeah. They're really talking about how the refugees are handled and stuff like that. And the authoritarian government mm-hmm. coming from a democracy. Yeah, Dude, the film is speaking louder than ever. Yeah. So this is literally the best chance to watch Children of Men if you didn't see it before. Oh, and I love, like, they call it Children of Men, right? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the movie, when Luke is like, no, we need him. We need the baby. And then Clive Owen's like, it's a girl. <laughs> it's, it's like, of course, right? Because this is what the Children of Men do. Right? Yeah. This is what, like, the, the cops and everything, they're all men. Yeah. They're all trying to control everybody. They kill especially women. Yeah. Fertility tests are mandatory. So of course, like the thing that's gonna save us is not gonna be a dude. Right? Women are the I guess women are the future. The future is female. I don't like it. Is <laughs> it's way more relevant than it's ever been yeah. right now. She's little uh, Greta Thornburg. Basically, it's, yeah, that's what <laughs> 
So um, this this film, it's it's gotten more life since then, yeah. but it's really been because of a strong word of mouth, mm-hmm. um, and because Alfonso has become a huge name in the industry. I mean, he after this he went on a five year break, but he did Gravity, which would get ten Oscar nominations. Which look, I love yeah. Gravity, I do, but I think it's a really cool cinema experience. It's a cool. Well, it's a film that's pretty great, but it it's a lot closer to that entertainment side of the of the spectrum rather than being equal parts entertaining and a think yeah. piece because it, it's very entertaining and it I does let um, that's, that's it, another podcast that's another <laughs> podcast but and then he went on to do roma which he won best director for so now people are going back it's like oh, i want to see what he children yeah. of men watch the fucking movie it's only an hour and 49 49 minutes it's less than two it is not that long of an experience and, if and you're you never bored you're never bored but even mm-hmm. if you don't like it, it's like well fine okay but you're yeah. definitely good. It's better than most of the stuff that you're probably watching. No disrespect, but it's <laughs> it's true. I mean, come yeah. on. With some, some I think of sh- most of the movies that we've been like doing on this podcast are like really interesting when you go back and look at the history of how it was made, and just the movie itself. Like it, it's well, these are it's films that maybe didn't get as much attention as they should have. I know for yeah. a fact this one didn't. Yeah, for a fact. So, what would you rate this movie? Oh, five out of five. Five out of five. Uh, it's my favorite film. It's your favorite film. It is hands down. Yeah, I mean, some close. Some films come very close, but it came at a. It came at a very, inst- a very important time in my life, mm-hmm. and this film made me definitely start thinking about films a bit what more critically. Mean, what do you mean, important part of your life? Well, I was trying to figure out what I would I wanted to do. Figured out like I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do because I I don't know, man. It. I grew up with I grew up a son of an Im, of immigrant two immigrant parents. Mm-hmm. My mom's from Mexico. My dad's from Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. And you know they instilled this in me this like well you have to you have to grow into your your profession and stuff. My dad was a watchmaker my entire life. He's he's a Jedi master when it comes to watchmaking. <laughs> so I grew up with this idea of being good at this one thing, being amazing at this mm-hmm. one thing. So I'm like, what do I want to do? And growing up, I was like, ah, it's police officer, fireman, or astronaut. That's th- oh. those were the, the or lawyer. Those were like the defaults. Mm-hmm. The possibilities of being um, other things didn't come into my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and it came and at this point in my life. That's when I started realizing, like, oh, you can actually make a career off of making movies. Like mm-hmm. for some reason, it never came into my mind that you can actually build a career making movies. Yeah. And then you see Children of Men, and I'm like, that's a that's incredible. Yeah. This literally came at the point in my life where I was like, I need to, I, I want to start maybe thinking about doing this. Because mm-hmm. I saw Children of Men, The Departed, that fucked me up. Then there mm-hmm. was uh, The Dark Knight, mm-hmm. where I'm like, uh, films can okay. be equal. Because I love entertaining people. Uh-huh. That's I love to entertain. I just love to entertain. And so the fact that you can have these films that are incredibly highbrow, but also entertaining, why not? Mm. What, what would you rate? I'm curious what you would rate this film. Um. Well, I, I just don't think that there's anything like, wrong with it you know i think it's a solid movie but i don't know it's just not one of like my favorites i guess yeah. but it's so it's so there's nothing wrong with this movie i would have to, like i feel like i have to give it a five as well like there's nothing that could be improved i everything I, in that movie is there with an intention you know it's just masterfully crafted it's and fantastic like, it's not like i guess what i look for in a movie is something that will make me um cry i guess and this movie doesn't really make me cry something that would make me like quote it frequently something that i don't know but it's it that's it's a stupid reason to like knock a movie down you know like well it's not my favorite so i'll give it a four like why 
I can't. I literally can't think of anything to make this movie better. Like, and I, fair enough. I mean, you're acknowledging that the film's good, but for but for one reason or another, maybe it's a personal taste. It's it doesn't yeah. grab your soul and yeah. and suplex you. Yeah, right. Like but, it's but it's 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 just so good. It's it's and then like how you're telling me about the the car, how they built that and they had unplug it from the rig and then do the handheld shot. Like that's incredible. That is what. Like every film should be pushing the limits some way. I think they're like building upon what what's what, come uh, before it. Yeah, and even I think from Little Shop of Horrors, the the special effects guy says we stand on the shoulders of giants. Yeah, because of all these people that did this stuff before. Now we know how to take it to the next level. And exactly. I think that's what we should do, and it, this movie does that. So I would give it a five out of five as well. Nice. It's I, come on, guys. It's just it, come on. It's a three ninety nine rental from Amazon Prime. Just yeah. watch it. Worst case scenario, you dislike it. Okay, yeah, fine. You wasted two hours. But it's literally worth it. Yeah. All right. So, so that's it for today, guys. Thank you for joining us. Whew, what a talk. Yeah. <laughs> we will see you guys next time. On, uh, I don't know. What are we going to do next? I don't know. I, we haven't spoken about it. But there's a lo- I have a lot of movies on the yeah, list. Yeah, we have a lot of movies. Maybe if we get enough followers, we'll take recommendations from people. <laughs> Why not? That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. All right. See you next time. Bye, everyone. Thanks.